as a literary device, uh, desolation is very powerful. And um, it's something that has become more popular over the years. And when I say a literary device, I kind of mean that fairly broadly. Books and movies, TV shows, uh, comic books, graphic novels. I think what is, I find so powerful about desolation as an artistic device is that it forces me to come to terms with my own brokenness. It forces me to come to terms with my own weakness and a lot of stuff that's going on inside of me. There was a, a couple of years ago, I was reading a novel that folks have probably heard of called The Road. They've made a movie out, out of it about this guy and his son, uh, post-apocalyptic setting and their journey to attempt to survive. And it was a hard read. And the reason that it was a hard read is because I kept thinking about what would it be like for me to have these conversations that this guy is having with his son if I was in that same situation and I had to have these conversations with, with my son. And what would it be like if I had been through this stuff that, that this dad had been through with his family and to just suffer all this loss and to see all of this desperation, to be around all of this despair, to not have hope. Like, how would that change me? Now, thankfully, you know, I do kind of understand uh, with, with where I'm at spiritually that I can have hope in God. Um, I do understand that, you know, and believe and profess that God has the power to change all things, to, to redeem all things. But at the same time, we also have to come to terms with the, this, this notion of desolation. It's something that Isaiah uh, forces us to come to terms with in, in chapter 24. And so one of the things that I hope about as, as we read this tonight is that we have not become desensitized to desolation. Sometimes I think with desolation being utilized so much as an artistic device these days and so much for entertainment purposes and video games and, and all this stuff that as we take it in, maybe sometimes when we read these words from the prophet, it might not affect us as deeply as if we had not thought about this or, or considered it um, uh, quite as much, if we had not become desensitized to it. And, and if that's happening, if this is not, these words are not affecting us as deeply as they should, then the question arises, what is it that I'm not doing that I should be doing when I hear these words? We'll wrestle with that in a second, but I want to bust off this whole chunk of scripture tonight as we look at God judging the earth. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as for the creditor, so the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth language languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourine is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. 
The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruin. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth, among the nations, as when an olive tree is beaten as the, at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me. For the traitors have betrayed with betrayal. The traitors have betrayed. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison and after many days, they will be punished. The moon will be confounded, the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. And that's the word of the Lord. And when we hear that, those, those powerful images, and when we think about what's happening there, that the earth, the entire earth is literally being broken apart, that it's staggering around, around like a drunk man or, or blowing in the breeze. When we think about that notion of not being able to escape the, the pit, and when we think about that as a result of, as it says there in Isaiah 24, the people of the earth breaking the everlasting covenant, I think that our first thought, the first notion that we have is, man, I'm glad that that's not going on right now. I'm glad that, that that's not something that, that we have to, to experience right now in this day and age, because that sounds really horrible. I mean, I think we have this notion that things probably aren't, aren't great. Like there's not a lot when you turn on the TV that makes you feel uh, warm, warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't necessarily feel like, oh, well, the whole thing's careening out of control and, and we're going to, you know, crash into the sun that we've been so, so, so sinful. We feel like we have a chance to maybe turn this thing around. But the crazy thing about this world is it's a really big place. And where my thoughts started to go as I started to get into that scripture, I started to really think about, all right, what about though for the people in the world right now that this is their reality? That they, like us, are living in, in a broken world and they're living in, in broken systems. But yeah, like it does feel as though everything has been taken away that everything is being torn asunder, that every day they feel like they are dwelling in darkness, that they are drowning, that their cries are not being heard. What about for those people? Because when we start to pay attention to what is happening outside of the scope of our lives and our existence and our experiences, I do think there are a lot of people in the globe who are right now having an Isaiah 24 reality every single day. 
And when we think about why that is, it's, it's difficult for us to deal with that theologically, isn't it? I think that the, the broad thing that we can say is that people are suffering like this because there is sin in the world, because the church perhaps has not been the, the thunderous voice that it should be, because Christians haven't spoken up against things that they should have. And, and we can paint it with these broad strokes when we look at individual contexts for things that are going on. We can see times in which our own society has either ignored violence that has gone on against people, where we have been complicit in that violence. It becomes very confusing, and we wonder if, if there is like this kind of judgment that's going on, if, if this stuff is being allowed to happen, because we have not been ushering in uh, eras of goodness and holiness, if this stuff is being allowed to happen because we have been turning our back on the eternal covenant, then, 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 then what do we say? How do we deal with those stories? And what do we do to engage with them? What do we do to engage with the people of, of Syria right now. Like if you go online and you just Google pictures of Aleppo, of, of, of that, that capital city, it's like one of these post-apocalyptic movies. The buildings have been bombed over and over and over again. There's a, a, a film out that Netflix just released a couple of weeks ago, a documentary film. It's called The White Helmets. And it talks about these, these guys that kind of got together as volunteers to when buildings are being bombed in Syria to run in and be first responders to pull folks out. And, and the way that that struggle is going right now, it's, it's going on in a, a, a manner where war crimes are being committed every day, where hospitals are being bombed, where U.N. convoys, there was a couple weeks ago, U.N. convoy uh, of, of 30 trucks that were trying to take supplies and medical supplies and food to help people that got, that got, that got bombed. There are people who are, are not part of fight or struggle that are suffering and this story of these guys that, that when they hear that brokenness ring out in their city, their first response is to go run and, and, and help and to try to pull people out of the darkness and out of the rubble and to get them, them services. I think about, you know, what's going on in Yemen just this weekend where there are, are mass casualties. I think about what's going on in Ethiopia and Eritrea. I just saw... Um, uh, article that the New York Times wrote about how people are so desperate to escape the, the desolation in those places and the oppression of their governments that they're risking their lives to, to die at sea just so they can get to some other place where they can be safe. And I think about those things. And when I think about those things that are happening in our world right now, I say, okay, so a couple of things, God. Number one, how does that speak to my brokenness? How does that speak to my brokenness? And I'm not trying to like set up, you know, some kind of suffering Olympics where we, you know, deny um, uh, uh, the things that are, are going on in our lives that are causing us pain or, or we discount those things. But I do think that, that it is important for us to learn to empathize with people, especially people who are experiencing these types of things that we see in Scripture where the wine has dried up and become bitter, where there is no celebration. When I ask about how that, when I consider how that speaks to my own 
brokenness. I'm like, okay, if we, there is this interrelatedness that we have as all being children of God, and if we know that in this world of us being interrelated, that the, my brokenness and my sin, even if I might not be actively contributing to the specific pain and suffering that, that certain peoples across the world are experiencing, the way that this picture lays it out, it does seem as though in our own brokenness and our own sin and our own suffering, there is this kind of ripple effect, right? Where the world cannot withstand us when we are being disobedient to God. And when my little thing and, and your little thing start to add up to become big things, when we enable each other, when we don't speak truth to each other, when we allow people to, to um, uh, get away with stuff on, on a large scale and, and we don't speak out against that, then there are repercussions. And so then this whole notion, this whole picture that we have of our lives being an act of worship through our actions, all of us being able to sing out and say God is, 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 is glorious. It seems as though there are people who cannot see that, who cannot experience that. And those are truths that they cannot legitimately and honestly cry out. And that is not acceptable. And so... When we consider our own sin, when we consider our own brokenness, we, we, when we consider the broken state of the world, the question for us is, you know, people of relative privilege who are getting college education um, in Kansas and who seem far away from these things, the question then becomes, all right, but so then what is it that we can do? Because we can't rush around trying to put out all of these fires ourselves. What is it that, that, that we can do? And I would say, you know, first and foremost, what does it look like? And I've asked this question before this semester, and it just keeps coming up in the prophets. But what does it look like to be people who lament well? What does it look like for the people of God to be people who lament well? And this goes beyond us just being uh, sad and this goes beyond us using other peoples and other parts of the world as, as talking points. Um, this goes beyond us simply educating ourselves. But it says, what does it mean for me to say, okay, someone else is sitting in the darkness, and now I am going to sit in the darkness and cry out for them on their behalf? What does it mean to actively go out and hear the stories of these people who are refugees or who are suffering the atrocities of unjust war? What does it mean to think outside of our own experiences and to say, yes, God, you are good and, and we are, 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 are wretched and we are crying out to you, not because we have the right to demand anything, but simply because we know you can do it and, and we ask you, God, to present solutions. And then at times where God gives us the opportunity to be a part of those solutions, are we willing to walk through those doors? Because even though there are people who are bearing great burdens and whose lives are filled with desperation and desolation, that might be something that God might be calling us to walk with people in and through and with. 
And maybe that means that when there are people um, who are, are missionaries to places such as uh, Syria or who still have family back there, maybe that means being supportive of them when they are here. Maybe that means us in our churches finding ways to open up our doors and to provide support systems for immigrant populations, for people who are escaping places of desolation. Maybe that means us changing the way that we talk about people from other places so that we are not othering, but we are finding ways to speak of them in a way that upholds their dignity as children of God. And maybe it means us, I don't know, man, like even just sending letters or encouragement to folks or to organizations that we know are doing the brave, hard work of working in these environments. Because we know, like, if you've ever tried to um, do something that's difficult, you feel like you're the only one doing it. You can feel like you're kind of out there on an island. And maybe what we do at the end of the day, then, is even in the midst of our brokenness, know that God has created us to be so much more than broken vessels. And even if we've been breaking the covenant, to know that none of us are beyond being redeemable. And so instead of continuing with this ripple effect of allowing sin to grip our lives and our communities and our society and our world, we really become about being defined by holiness and worship and goodness and joy being the things that define our heart and how we interact with other people and our very existence. You know, I'm glad that this isn't the end of what Isaiah has to say. Um, Because, like, that would be pretty depressing. And that would leave us to walk out of here knowing that, man, is like, what would there be then to be hopeful about if, if this was to be our plight? I think that Isaiah 24 paints a very real picture. I think it paints a true picture. I think it paints a truth-telling picture. I think it paints a picture of something that a lot of people are going through right now, but I think that the story is still working itself out and playing itself out. And one of the great things that I appreciate about Isaiah, it's such a long book, but one of the things that it's able to do is Isaiah is able to say, okay, people, we need to lament But the next step after that is then we need to get after pursuing the God of our joy. And while tonight is a night to consider how lament can spur us to a lifestyle of worship, Wednesday will be about what it'll look like to live a life of praise before our God. God, we do thank you for this day. And we know that sometimes it's hard to wade into Um, difficult imagery, because we know that sometimes that just kicks up uh, pretty deep feelings in us, and it reminds us of our own hurt and our own pain and our own despair. And just as we can be assured that uh, you want to make those things whole in us, God, help us to um, realize that there are people in this world for whom their whole entire world is crashing down right now. Help us to know how to love them, Help us to know how to uh, live lives on this side of the globe that honor them. Help us to uh, know how to pray for them well. And if there are radical ways in which we can be 
involved in their struggle. Show us those invitations and give us the courage to step into that. God, we do pray that in everything that we do in our lives, that they would be acts of worship. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.